With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's been a long road. Getting from there to here. It's been a long time. But my time is finally near. And I can feel the change in the Right now, nothing's in my way, and I'm not gonna hold it down no more. No, they're not gonna hold me down, cause I've got faith of the heart. This is Dr. Jess Armine coming to you from the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine here in southeastern Pennsylvania. But tonight, I want to say good morning, Australia. I know it's 10 o'clock. It's morning the next day. We're Tuesday, but I'm very happy. So we're doing this from Pennsylvania in the United States and from Australia. I am so excited because this is the first time I've done it live. (laughs) Anyway. We have an incredible guest tonight, and I'm going to introduce her just in a moment, okay? Um, and we're going to have a nice talk about metabolic syndrome, and I'll let, uh, I will let her explain what that is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, just under, uh, I want to let everybody know for the next two weeks there will not be a show because Dr. Jess is going to England to take care of people. It will be back, oh, God, is it the 23rd? Ah, anyway, at the end of June, I'll be back, okay? And we'll have some great shows. And um, anyway, so... I would like to introduce uh, Eliza Lambert. Am I pronouncing your name correct, Eliza? Um, hi, Dr. Oman. It's actually Elisma. Oh, sorry. Elisma okay. Lambert. <laughs> <laughs> now, I met Elisma at, uh, at uh, ShriCon uh, 2016, Dr. Ben's um, conference, and we've had some um, interaction over the Internet, and I got to meet her in person. She took a 14-hour flight just to listen to... Well, in part, me babble. <laughs> oh, <definitely>. Poor girl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, she's a, she's a pretty amazing person. She's a naturopath, homeopath, a registered GAPS practitioner with training in MAPS, which is also um, used to be known as DAN. The uh, law says now. Now it's the Medical Academy of Pediatric Special Needs uh, with special interests in nutrigenomics, digestive disorders, mental health, and autoimmune disease. Sounds a lot like somebody who's talking right now. Anyway, uh, she was born in South Africa. She's got a master's degree in homeopathy. She emigrated to Australia in 2000. I won't ask why. Uh, she, where she obtained a bachelor's in health science. 
uh, and has been in practice for 14 years. I'm going to tell you something, people. I'm, gonna, I'm telling you about her from you know my, my little write-up here, but um, Eliza is uh, Elizma, Elizma. I'll, I'll get it eventually. Okay, is one fantastic practitioner. Okay, you know that I only have the best on my show. Okay, this is a practitioner who cares, who constantly trains, loves her patients, knows what she's doing, and does it the right way. Okay, so I'm going to tell you that all. I'm going to tell you all that right up front. You know why? Because it's true. Um, her journey be- in health began in earnest when her eldest son didn't start talking until age three, and displayed symptoms of Asperger's and ADHD. Moving away from the medical model, she focused on removing infections in the gut. Listen closely, people. She focused on removing infections in his gut, eliminating food intolerances, correcting nutritional deficiencies, and reestablishing neural connections in the brain with various exercises. Today, he's a handsome young, te- young teenager. If he looks anything like his mom, he's definitely going to be <laughs> handsome. Yo, yo. Sorry, I'm Italian. Give me a break. I'm Sicilian. Hey, yo, what can I say? You know? And with no developmental or social differences between him and his peers. If that's not amazing, nothing is. Uh, Eliza believes in true healing begins when you find and address the root cause, which you heard, we heard that before. Okay, and bring the biochemistry back into balance. Okay, now you know why she's a phenomenal practitioner. She gets it. She knows how the body works. So it is my pleasure, my honor to introduce Eliza Lambert. Hi, Eliza. Hi, Dr. Armine. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. And, you know, you're so right. There's a lot of the things that I'm going to talk about that I actually got from you, like the whole root cause thing. That really, really stuck with me, you know, when we were having conversations. So you mm-hmm. might catch a couple of words that I talk about that you think, oh, that sounds very familiar. Um, and I only have <laughs> you to thank because, you know, you're such a, I do see you as a type of a mentor and I respect you highly. So I apologize oh, if I've so stolen some of your little sayings. <laughs> you have not stolen it. I, I, different from other practitioners and other people who, um, who mentor, I, I don't. I don't hold anything back. I just teach it because what I want is for people around the world to find practitioners like yourself, uh, whether they change. I've had people use my clinic name and change it around just a little bit. I don't really care as long as they're doing the right work. You know, I don't, um, I don't hold on to things like that. So guess what? I'm happy for you to use any terminology, whatever concepts. And uh, by the way, people, this is Eliza's first podcast. Okay. So shall we treat her gently? Okay. Right. I remember my first. I don't think I could actually put two words together without stumbling. Okay. So if we stumble a little bit, let me tell you something. It's just because we're a little nervous. Okay. It's the first time. Yo, yo. Okay. Thank you so much. You're most welcome, dear. Listen, um, we're talking about that is a heck of a subject and it, you know, goes far and wide. So if we get through a lot of stuff tonight, great. If we don't, if you would be so kind, we'll have you back on the show in about a month or so, and we can pick up either different aspects of this. So uh, let's tell everybody they've heard the word metabolic syndrome. They have no idea. Most doctors don't even know what it means. Okay. But uh, why don't you, uh, if you'd be so kind, let us know what is metabolic syndrome. Yeah, sure. Um, and, you know, you actually took the words right out of my, out of my mouth, Dr. Armand, because it is such a big topic and, um, and I, when I thought about it, I thought, oh, what a great example of one of the um, few conditions where it has been recognized where you have all these different 
organ systems involved. I mean, in, in medicine, we uh, tend to just look at a disease and um, treat it in, the, in an individualized way, which is not the right way to treat it. But this is probably one of those really few system, you know, diseases um, where we already recognize that the liver is involved, the pancreas is involved, the hormones are involved. So, um, but it does make it an extremely big topic and um, I'm definitely not going to be able to cover everything tonight. But, um, you know, when I looked at the, um, the definition of metabolic syndrome, I went to good old trusted Wikipedia and um, what they pretty much say is that metabolic syndrome is a clustering of at least three of five of the following medical conditions. And this includes abdominal obesity, which is fat that you carry sort of along the, uh, the, the, the trunk or the body, high blood pressure, um, high fasting plas- uh, glucose plasma, which is your blood sugar, um, high serum triglycerides, which is your cholesterol, and low high-density lipoprotein, which is your protective cholesterol. So if you have any three of five of these things, then you can be classified as having metabolic syndrome, and that puts you at risk for things like heart disease and diabetes. Um, but, you know, we see a lot of um, these types of things in our practices all the time. So but we, but I guess people will commonly um, experience is they will carry some extra weight that they just can't shift. They may have hormonal um, uh, problems such as polycystic ovarian syndrome or low testosterone in males or estrogen problems in females. They may have diabetes. Um, they may have sort of an excessive thirst um, and even may urinate a lot during nighttime. Uh, blurry vision, fatigue, those are maybe some of the things that people can recognize. Um, and then, you know, when we do our blood tests, we'll tend to see sort of the high sugar, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, um, insulin, um, high fasting insulin, and um, those kinds of things. But it mainly uh, seems to have, um, I guess, an insulin resistance pattern is probably the thing that we recognize mostly. Um, but there will also be fatty liver involvement. It's, it's a huge sort of, um, yeah, a, a complete metabolic syndrome. And it just involves so many hormonal systems um, um, in the body. But um, I guess the weight gain and the hormone fluctuations are the things that people will be able to identify the most. Um, and you know, when we look at the causes of metabolic syndrome, there are really a lot of them. But I would say that one of the main ones is poor diet, just a high sugar, high refined carbohydrate diet. And then um, stress is probably the second one. Um, stress just has a huge influence on all the body systems. Um, and then, uh, you know, it'll, it'll influence your, um, how well you control your blood sugar levels. Um, and then a big one that I really would like to delve into tonight is, is gut health. Um, we really forget about that. We, we, it's a big topic at the moment. It's how is the digestive system and how is our microbiome controlling our brain and controlling our hormones and controlling our health? And um, there's a lot of really interesting research that's coming out with that. Um, and some other causes, you know, nutritional deficiencies and um, when you have excessive toxin exposure or you just don't have the ability to clear toxins very well, and that's where your methylation cycle comes in, because if that's not working properly, then your uh, phase two liver will not work properly and you'll hold on to these toxins, and, you know, cause, that'll cause uh, fat accumulation in the body. So there's quite sort of a few things that can play a role. Um, 
But I definitely think that uh, diet and stress is two big ones. Well, let's um, let's let's circle back a little bit. You've identified one of the major reasons for illness in uh, and basically all the all the ills of the body, and that's gut problems. Let's call it okay. Yeah. Because yeah. that includes dysbiosis, you know, hyperpermeability. Um, you kind of indicated how that can be caused, but when people talk about, let's say, leaky gut syndrome, okay, um, what exactly does that mean? What does it do? I know, I know, you know, I know you can actually see it um, if you're, you know, if you're <laughs> slicing up somebody's stomach, but um, yeah. infections lead to it. Uh, it can cause poor diet, can cause dysbiosis. Use of antibiotics can cause dysbiosis. But what exactly is causing? the inflammation, what's causing the whole cascade? And we're always constantly looking at, you know, leaky gut as being, well, this is what we got to fix first because otherwise people are just chasing like food allergies and stuff like that. I think yeah. if anything that I see all the time, they're doing this backwards. And if people would fix a gut, if they understood why and they fixed their gut correctly, let's face it, a whole boatload of illnesses would start turning around. Yeah, that's correct. And, and I hope I've got it right here, Dr. Arman, but um, I think you're hinting towards uh, the autonomic nervous system and uh, stress mm-hmm. and cortisol regulation. Because, um, you know, when you start looking at the brain being this computer and it just regulates everything, and, um, you know, you need it to produce the stomach acids, you need it to produce the bile, um, you um, need it to, um, uh, you know, control blood sugar and... Um, cortisol release and when you have when you have a leaky gut because it's, there's quite a few things yes definitely your your microorganisms can cause leaky gut but if you have excessive cortisol release from coming from the brain um that will lower your immune system it'll lower your iga antibodies and when your iga antibodies gets lowered they're supposed to protect all your mucous membranes in your gut and your sinuses and your mouth and your throat then you become vulnerable to all these infections so then you, you will get yeast infections and you will get bacterial infections and parasite infections and that'll start, uh, it'll just perpetuate this um, cortisol and inflammatory cascade. Um, so I do think that um, controlling stress um, regulation and that sympathetic, parasympathetic dominance, I think it really needs to be um, regulated a lot better than what we're doing. And, um, you know, it comes sometimes back to also just good habits like um, chewing your food properly because if you go back to, to uh, dietary things, you need to chew your food properly to stimulate vagal nerve activation and again, you know, the, get the brain and the autonomic nervous system to work properly and then get all the bile and the stomach acid and everything else secreted. Um, so uh, it's, it's really that autonomic nervous system that. Uh, I think we need to look at it a little bit more um, and, and uh, get that better um, better regulated. Well, let's get down to basics, okay? Um, it's obvious you, you understand this at the, uh, <laughs> shall we say, molecular <laughs> level, okay? And that's important. You know, people who don't understand it well don't know how to fix it. So from what I'm hearing, you know, we have we have different layers in the gut, one being the mucus layer where secretory IgA hangs out, and that's what that's where it kind of you know stops all the toxins 
And then we have the cellular layer that can get ripped open and um, white blood cells can get in there and, and uh, just kind of chew out, you know, the, um, the damaged cells and leave these gaping holes for antigens and stuff to get in. Um, yeah, yeah. So but it, it, you're, it's, the, it's the cell, yeah, I think it's the, um, you know, I think that was actually what I was hinting towards. It's, it's the cell membrane, you know, the cell membranes, they, they're the ones that really need to be healthy. Um, and because um, that's what, what um, every single cell in your body has got this phospholipid cell layer um, and how nutrients go in and toxins go out. And um, a lot of the leaky gut problems is because those cellular membranes in the in the gut gets damaged by these right. infections um or by poor methylation you know if you're not if not you're not methylating properly because you have nutritional deficiencies because your diet is not very good um then you're also not going to make phospholipid membranes so um i think that is that is a really important place to start actually it's an interesting story um what and one of the singing or making everybody repeat the cell wall is a phospholipid bilayer the cell wall is a phospholipid bilayer because <laughs> this is a thing that is ignored by everyone and at yeah. the seminar I met a gentleman from Scotland and he was he said I remember and he, he apparently he's a student somewhere and uh, he <laughs> and he's telling me I remember I remember you saying and I'm like saying what he dropped off his son he's driving on the he recorded one of my podcasts and he's driving on these back roads chanting the cell walls of phospholipid bilayer the cell walls of phospholipid bilayer going we're in scotland i'm like wow you know but this is you know, your point is is very salient it's very this is the one thing when i look at people who are treating leaky gut that they ignore either because of ignorance and I, I'll have ignorance means I don't know. It's the yeah. cell wall integrity. Okay. Yeah. It's the, it's the ability of the cell wall to repair itself. We've got all kinds of things that damage the cell walls, but there's a significant amount of necessity for repairing the cell walls. And you, if you can't methylate correctly, if you can't, if you don't have phospholipids, as part of your diet or part of your treatment, you're not going to repair your cell walls and then nothing's going to work. That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. And, um, uh, you know, if we, even if we look at something um, like, you know, a common drug that is used in metabolic syndrome or in diabetes like metformin, um, it causes B12 deficiencies and um, as one of uh, the side effects. So without B12, you know, you uh, also cannot make those cell membranes. It, it disrupts methylation, and uh, then you can't make the cell membrane. So sometimes these drugs can have like a very short-term effect, but the long-term consequences, um, you know, it, it really stops the body from healing itself and uh, truly getting better. True. And, you know, um, yeah, and uh, I thought, you know, as I was looking into the whole gut thing, um, what I absolutely found fascinating because I thought, you know, to understand how gut dysbiosis can cause these things, it's important to know what a healthy gut is supposed to do. And when I looked there into you go. it, um, yeah, when I looked into it, um, we are so dependent on our gut microbiome. Um, and this is something that I wasn't really aware of to the extent that we do depend on them because. In our, within our own human genome, and that is the DNA within our own cells, we have maybe about 17 different carbohydrate-digesting enzymes. 
But our gut bacteria produces over 16,000 different enzymes to digest carbohydrates. I mean, without them, there's just no way we can digest carbs and sugars. And they, you know, they estimate that they that these gut bacteria um, provide about two to three million bacterial genes just in our gut for regular digestion and fat absorption and carbohydrate absorption and insulin regulation. Um, I mean, and then we go and take antibiotics or we eat a really crappy diet or um, we get exposed to toxins and then we kill off these really essential gut bacteria. And some of them will never, ever return. We can never get them back again. They're gone forever. And to think that this is not going to affect our health, I mean, that is just completely ignorant. Um, and if you think about how many people are intolerant to grains and to glutens and to, you know, we get fructose intolerances and a lot of people are just not doing very well on carbohydrates. And sure, you know, portion control, it does play a big role. But um, we cannot deny that if you kill all the organisms that are supposed to be digesting these foods, um, you know, it's just going to create that inflammation. Uh, the food's going to ferment. They're going to feed the yeast, and they're going to feed the bacteria, and it'll just keep on fueling this uh, the cortisol response, which causes all those blood sugar fluctuations. Um, so yeah, I thought that was very that was quite fascinating. Um, and then um, you know when I looked further into uh, how um, gut bacteria can negatively influence, um, and I'm trying, going to try not to be too technical, but I thought this was quite interesting, is they've now actually found a link between gram-negative bacteria and metabolic syndrome. Now, to put it into perspective, you know, gram-negative bacteria would be things like your salmonella, which is your, like your food poisoning, helicobacter, um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's quite a few people who know what helicobacter pylori is. It causes the um, ulceration, mm-hmm. uh, stomach ulcers. Um, things like Klebsiella and um, Borrelia even, which I think we see now more and more, and um, E. coli. So these are just a couple of gram-negative bacteria that people may be familiar with. But what gram-negative bacteria do, because if you look at all bacteria, they have this sort of like a proteoglycan layer around them. Um, Gram-negative bacteria is a little bit different. They have an extra layer on the outside, and this extra layer is made up of a substance called lipopolysaccharides. Just a really fancy word for um, something that sits on the outside of their cell membranes. But what this uh, lipopolysaccharide does is as the bacteria die, they release these little fragments of their cell wall into the system. And this can then create sort of like a chronic, low-grade inflammatory response. And this can sort of um, set off that uh, inflammation and the, it, it damages those exact cell walls that we were just talking about. And then you mm-hmm. can get the leaky gut and you can get like little food proteins and even like the uh, cell wall fragments, they can go into the bloodstream, set off all this inflammation in the, in the bloodstream, set off the cortisol, disrupt the blood sugar, you get insulin resistance. It's just a whole cascade of stuff that happens. And then... You know, apart from that, there was something that I thought was fascinating, and I do want to look into this one a little bit more, um, because on the cell walls in the, in the, in the digestive system, um, you get these little transporters. They're like sugar, sugar transporters, and uh, the fancy name for them is SGLT1. So they sort of line the gut wall, and their job is to take glucose from the food that you've just eaten, 
pump it into the intestinal cells and then pump it into the bloodstream. But these gram-negative bacteria, the, the lipopolysaccharides on their cell walls, can actually trigger this little transporter to work three to four times faster than what it's supposed to. So what this means is it keeps on pumping sugar from the gut into the bloodstream um, at a really at a much accelerated level. Um, and if you just keep on eating carbohydrates and you keep on eating sugar, this just doesn't stop. It just keeps on pumping the, the, the glucose into the bloodstream. And so you're going to get these sugar highs or this hyperglycemia, which is then going to trigger this insulin release from the pancreas. And if this goes on for long enough, eventually those insulin receptors become numb or they become insensitive and they just don't respond very well anymore. And that's when you become insulin resistant. Um, it's, it, that just doesn't work anymore. And so then you start getting these uh, blood sugar fluctuations and you start putting on weight. And this is something, um, you know, everyone thinks weight loss is about calorie counting. And it's a really struggle to get into people's minds that it is not. It is not about calorie counting. It is about the metabolic effect that foods have on your system. You know, what happens when you eat a food? It's not just the calories that you consume. It's like, is that food triggering insulin? Is that food triggering cortisol? Um, um, is that food just, you know, uh, disrupting your estrogen or your testosterone or your hormone levels? And that is what sets you up for weight gain. And it sets you up for not being able to lose weight. Um, and I really think that people should start looking more at, you know, when they eat food, don't just think, oh, well, this is high calorie, this is low calorie. They really need to start thinking about what kind of an effect is this having in my body, right down from, from the digestive system right up to the brain. Um, yeah, and I thought that that's, that's quite important. Um, and, you know, before I divert too much, as part of the digestive system, I thought this is also very important to mention because we do forget about the mouth. Um, and oral hygiene is just so important. And, it, you know, the, the mouth is the first part of the digestive system. And if you think about how many people have teeth problems, you know, they'll have root canals, they have um, amalgam fillings, which, you know, can lead to that toxic load. But you get a lot of bacteria in the mouth and yeast in the mouth that you swallow. Um, and if the digestive system is not working properly, like you don't have enough stomach acid, you don't have enough bile production, then these organisms will take hold in the gut. And this is often how the gut dysbiosis can start and, um, you know, just grow completely out of control. So what do we do about such things? Yeah, well, that, that is, that is a, it's a good question, Dr. Arman. I mean, one of the things is um, you have, I think it's important to first, um, um, first of all, you can just go back to basics. It's pretty much diet. Um, a lot of times, you know, you don't even have to necessarily bother with antimicrobials or, you know, you don't have to get too focused on that. I think the very, very first place to start is you need to start with clean diet, um, you know, uh, teaching people how to chew their food properly, getting them to eat more um, fiber, um, leafy greens and proteins, because you need that fiber to make, um, you know, for, for bacteria to grow. They, they use that as their food. Um, so you need to cut out the sugar, you know, definitely get all the sugar out of the diet. Um, 
in, in my opinion, I think grains should be removed as well. I just don't think that grains has um, much of a, um, a role to play in good health these days anymore, at least not what we've done to the grains. So I prefer to, um, you know, definitely remove the sugar. But if I can get someone to remove grains, I will get them to do that as well. Um, but definitely add in a lot of uh, good food and organic food. It needs to be organic. Uh, we need to reduce the toxic load in the body. So uh, foods these days, you know, they sprayed with uh, chemicals, they sprayed with glyphosates, um, um, arsenic in our rice and in our chicken. So we need to make sure that we eat very good quality foods and we need to make sure we drink clean water. We need to make sure we um, sleep properly to get our circadian rhythms um, more in balance. Um, so sometimes just starting with those kinds of things, the real basic things can really help. And then um, definitely, uh, you know, if, 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 if this doesn't solve the issue, you need to identify um, what kind of organisms are growing there. Um, and then you need to... You need to fix the cell membranes. You really need to fix that leaky gut. And that could be just getting more choline in through your diet. So eating eggs, you know, get some good proper choline in there. Um, there's obviously some supplements that you could use as well. But from a dietary perspective, you just need to make sure that um, you're getting all those nutrients in that you need to get the cells to repair. Um, and getting the blood sugar control, in control is very important. That's what happens when you pull the grains and you pull the glucose. Um, you have a much, much better chance to get the blood sugar under control and getting that um, insulin to be uh, better regulated. Um, so they, that's probably some of the uh, big things that I would uh, definitely look at um, just in order to get sort of like a, a healthy gut. Um, how would you go other, about... How do you go about fixing the um, the cell walls? Um, I myself, I use uh, phospholipids. Um, and I used to use just ordinary phospholipids. And um, you were kind enough to sort of introduce me to some uh, more liposomal kind of phospholipids. So that's probably one of the big things that I do use in my practice now. Um, and I have to say I'm getting really, really good results with it. Um, I do also use... Um, probiotics um, and I will determine the probiotics depending on I'll use different ones all the time so it really depends on what I think is going on in the gut and what kind of organisms are growing there so I can you know I will change my strains quite regularly because I do think it's good to introduce different strains all the time um, so yeah, they that, probably that's, a, that's a question that's often asked by a lot of patients which probiotics are important which ones should you be careful of in certain situations? Do you have recommendations about what good general probiotics? You know, most people don't need yep. real specific, but they need a good generalized, they need good generalized support. Yeah. Well, it's important to get both your acidophilus and your bifidobacteria. Um, I, I use the rhamnosis, the LGG rhamnosis strain quite a bit, and I do use the lactate-free probiotics quite a bit as well. And I know there's a some agree with that and some don't agree with that. But I, I just see really good results when I use D-lactate-free probiotics. And um, th that can sometimes happen, you know, if, if people have certain infections and strep and enterococcus are two big ones, some of these gut bacteria can produce a lot of lactic acid, which is a huge mitochondrial disruptor. You know, it really shuts down the mitochondria and uh, just causes a lot of issues. 
And um, this is something that is often seen in kids with uh, autism or Asperger's. So they often do really, really well on D-lactate-free probiotics. If you don't have any major issues, I think it's good to mix it up. I really think it's um, a healthy practice is to change your probiotic every two or three months. And then it doesn't matter what you change it to. You know, don't feel bound People get a little bit hung up on certain strains, which I think is kind of strange because uh, we, we have so many different species in our gut. How is one strain mm-hmm. going to be the panacea? So, you know, definitely, you know, use, use different strains all the time. Um, like I said, the exceptions to the rule, I think, would be in those people who have really, really severe uh, or very specific problems where I do see very high lactic acid buildup, and then I will be much more careful in what they uh, use. And in some cases, I won't use probiotics at all. Um, for instance, SIBO is a good example. And for those of you who don't know, SIBO is, stands for small intestinal bacterial dysbiosis, and that's when bacteria from the large intestine have moved up into the small intestine, where you're not really supposed to have a very high bacterial load in the small intestine. And um, people often get, um, you know, a lot of bloating and um, uh, symptoms like that, uh, diarrhea and constipation. I find that they don't do very well on probiotics, at least not in the initial stages, because I don't know if it just feeds into um, just adding more bacteria to an area that doesn't really want it. So on those uh, occasions, I will withhold probiotics, at at least in the initial stages, and um, first work on getting the bile you know, production better and um, all of those other things just working a lot better. You mentioned the delactate-free probiotics, okay? Yeah. Um, <laughs> last time I looked for them, I had trouble finding them. What exactly are they? Um, there's a couple of strains that, by definition, are delactate-free. Um, the rhamnosus strain is one of them. Um, I think plantara might be one of them as well, and then your bifidobacteria. Um, I mean, am I allowed to mention brand names? Oh, absolutely. This is, yeah, excellent. This is okay. not for well, Please, please do. That people, all right, hey, cool. this is what people want to know. We're not, we're not selling the product. Okay. okay? So yeah, we're, we're, not. we're not hawking the product we're selling. What we're doing yep. is informing people, hey, if you have this, this is something you can try. Okay, okay, so, um, you know, I, I think it's very fair the way we're going about it. Don't you think? Okay. Yeah, I definitely think so. So there's two brands that I use. I sometimes use uh, custom probiotics. They have a really good delactate-free probiotic in a powder form. It's really, really strong. I think 250 billion bacteria per a gram or something like that. And then another one um, that you can get here in Australia is the Spectrum Ceuticals. They do a delactate-free probiotic in a capsule as well. But when I looked at the strains, it was pretty much um, from memory. It was the rhamnos, the LGG rhamnosus, uh, bifido, and I think it was the um, plantarum strain. So they seem to not produce um, the the delactate component of lactic acid. And um, it's been a long time uh, since I've actually read into it, but I think it's because you need certain enzymes to break down that delactate portion um, of lactic acid. And as people age or as if if the mitochondria is just not functioning very well, they seem to have a real problem in breaking down that um, delactate part. And then that can just um, cause a lot of inflammation in the body. And um, it sort of like floods the mitochondria with with, uh, lactic acid and um, it just um, yeah it just doesn't function properly then at all so that's why it's sometimes helpful to just take the load off 
and uh, give them probiotics without that um, component in it. Wonderful, wonderful. And see, this is something that, you know, some people take probiotics and they get sick. Okay, yeah. and and if they had some guidelines to follow, I, I'm a great believer that people should take care of themselves, you know, as best they can, and they should consult us when they they need guidance, you know. Exactly. And um, the biggest problem, of course, is the internet. <laughs> Dr. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you don't know who to believe. You don't know yeah. what to believe, you know. So my listeners uh, have been very kind over the years, and I promise them that I always give them the best information, at least the information that, you know, I would use for my own family, you know, because that's the best, um, the best uh, yardstick that I can use to measure yeah. because let's face it, people, you know, it's a, um, it, it's tough out there. <laughs> it's tough out there online. You know, everybody's got something to sell. So you got to be careful. That's right. And, you know, you had a, you had a good point um, that some people do take things and then they feel worse. And I've had people come to me and saying, oh, but, you know, my practitioner, put me on these probiotics, I felt terrible, but they said it's just part of the process and you just have to keep on taking it. And, you know, I usually tell people, you know, if, if you're reacting to something, whatever it is, there's a reason for you reacting to it. I may not, I may not know the reason. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that you are imagining the symptoms or that you necessarily have to push through. When people get a negative reaction to something, I usually have, you know, I really try and figure out why is this happening? Because, um, you know, this is, this is a good example. If you think, oh, well, we'll just push through and give more probiotics, and in the meantime, they have uh, something like SIBO, and you're actually just making the condition worse. So I think it's very right. important to listen to the body and listen to your clients when they tell you what the symptoms that they're experiencing, and then put your ego aside and go think, well, maybe I don't know the answer, but maybe I need to go and look at why this person is reacting a certain way, because maybe it's not a good thing for them to react in a certain way, and maybe I missed something. So... Um, Yes, it, would be, it would be uh, nice if, if our colleagues would actually do such things. I know, I know. <laughs> it yeah, becomes definitely. a very, very difficult thing because, you know, there's two types of ignorance. Ignorance I don't know and ignorance I don't care. Ignorance yeah. I don't know is reputable because you sit there and you say, you know, nobody can know everything. And if you're honest about it, nobody gets upset. Okay. Ignorance I don't care is unacceptable. And I don't care also means that, hmm. You know, I want you to be here for the next two years. Therefore, I'm going to fit you into my paradigm. And guess what? It doesn't matter what you go through. I just simply want you as a number. Okay, so yeah, exactly. doctors do that. You, you can tell. And unfortunately, people, you know, they, they trust their healthcare providers, you know, and it's our responsibility to make sure they get good information. But that's not always true out there. It's not always yeah, true. It's, it's, that's so true. It's so true. Um, so uh, let me just make an announcement here um, <clears throat> for everybody who's on the uh, chat room. If you have a, if you have a question for Eliza, uh, just go ahead and type it into the chat, um, and I'll ask her. If anybody would like to call in, um, it is uh, country code zero one one six four six five nine five two two seven seven. That's country code if you're outside the United States zero one one six four six five nine five. 2277. Of course, if you're in the United States, it's just 646-595-2277. So uh, while we're talking, if you'd like to ask a question, please, please call in. Go ahead, Eliza. Um, 
Dr. Arman, something else that I thought I'd like to talk about a little bit as well is um, insulin resistance, because this is about metabolic syndrome, and why that sometimes is actually um, a necessary thing to happen. Like we always think of insulin resistance as a bad thing, but, um, you know, the body usually does things for a reason. And I think insulin resistance is a good example of this, because if we didn't become insulin resistant and glucose was just allowed to go into the cells, uh, you know, with any kind of a, a, a gate or a, a mechanism to stop it, um, we'll just, um, the, the cells will just become um, full of glucose and that can cause a lot of, lot of problems um, because once, you know, once sugar is allowed to enter the cell and then it turns into a substance called uh, glucose 6-phosphate, it cannot actually go out of the cell at all anymore. So once it's in, it's in and it can't go out. And then the only way that it can leave the cell is by actually being burned up for energy. And if, um, you know, initially it may go sort of like through the mitochondria where it gets produced into energy and, and everything goes well. Um, but if there's a lot of glucose going into the cells and the mitochondria has to work faster and faster and faster to burn the sugar off, it produces a lot of reactive oxygen species or free radicals in the process. And this can be very damaging to the cell. And also just it, eventually that mitochondria, you know, can become dysfunctional and fatigued and just doesn't work so well anymore. And then what the glucose or the sugar in the cell will do is it'll go through a different pathway. It goes into the glycolytic pathway. And the glycolytic pathway produces um, things like your lactic acid and your sorbitol. Um, and these things can be extremely um, damaging to the cells. Um, and in a sense, insulin resistance tries, and stops, tries to stop that from happening by closing the little doors on the cells, which is called the uh, GLUT4 receptors. And, and I'm starting to think that that insulin resistance actually may be making part of uh, the cell danger response as an attempt to save the cell from this sort of glucotoxicity. Um, and if we go back to um, what happens when sugar goes through sort of this glycolytic cycle, um, one of the things that it produces... Um, is the sorbitol, and sorbitol is responsible for that, um, I don't know if people have heard of it, but it's called AGES, or Advanced Glycation End Products, and that's the stuff that damages your, um, you know, it damages your red blood cells, it damages your blood vessels, um, it damages your um, nervous system, so you, you sort of get this uh, conglomerate of uh, diabetes and cardiovascular disease and Alzheimer's disease, and all of these things that can happen from a, a high-sugar diet um, that's a very poorly controlled, um, you know, with, uh, with, with hormones. So it's just not, not controlled as well as it should be. And um, what we also sometimes forget is that uh, these little receptors on the cell surfaces that allows the glucose to go in, um, that's regulated by insulin, pretty much all of the cells in the body need insulin for this regulation. But when you become insulin resistant, and now you have this, this glucose because you're still eating like a high carbohydrate diet and you're still uh, stressed and you're still not exercising, the glucose has to go somewhere. So it'll, it'll keep on rising in the bloodstream. But because of the insulin resistance and because the cells are already full of glucose and it just can't handle anymore, the glucose will then go to two areas in the body where you do not need insulin, and that is the liver and the brain. Because they are the two organs that do not need insulin uh, as a way to regulate the amount of sugar that can go into them. 
And so now you have all this sugar and all this glucose going into the liver. So the liver gets bombarded with all of this glucose and it thinks, well, what am I supposed to do with it? So one of the things it'll start doing is it'll start to turn it into cholesterol. It starts turning it into triglycerides. And then it just pumps out all of these triglycerides out into the bloodstream. Um, and um, they, they, they sort of like carried by lipoproteins and they go into the bloodstream. And so now when you go to your doctor and they go and they do these uh, tests, you know, they'll go and test your cholesterol and it'll come back hot with um, high LDLs and high triglycerides. And if they even bother to test for ApoB, uh, then these all come back high. And the first thing that they do is they put you on statins because that's the thing that you do. Um, mm. But if you actually look what happens when you take statins, it's, statins actually blocks that fat synthesizing enzyme in the liver that turns that glucose into cholesterol. And then what happens is your cholesterol production becomes less. And so the next time your doctor runs a blood test, your cholesterol levels have dropped. And so they think, great, this is excellent. You know, we're saving you from cardiovascular disease. But you're not actually doing that because if you're still eating carbohydrates and you're still eating sugar and you're still having uh, these cortisol releases that, you know, create and makes more sugar into the, uh, and gets more sugar release into the bloodstream, um, your, your liver cannot take that glucose and it cannot turn it into cholesterol. What it'll do is then, even though your cholesterol levels are going down, it'll start to push the glucose or the sugar back into the bloodstream. And this is where it'll keep on damaging the blood vessels. It'll keep on through that glycation process. It'll just keep on damaging the blood vessels. Uh, it'll keep on producing sorbitol in the nervous system. Um, and you keep on getting insulin resistance because your blood sugars keep going up. So you're still actually at risk of getting atherosclerosis and all of those cardiovascular diseases. But now you've added Alzheimer's disease and you've added diabetes to the list as well. So I think it's important for people to realize just because you've stopped one area or you stopped a mechanism somewhere and it looks like everything is going right, you've not actually addressed the key issues. And that's still going on in the background. Even if your blood tests look good, you have not stopped anything, and that whole disease process keeps on going um, on in the background. And, you know, you get a stroke a couple of years later, and you're not sure why that's happened because you've got, you know, you've, you've been on statins all this time. Um, so I think that's, you know, it's sometimes really important to uh, look at these mechanisms and um, um, make sure that you address the actual cause of what's going on, which is often the diet, you know, just uh, the high sugar, high carbohydrate diets, or the stress that is actually through gluconeogenesis producing all of the sugar into the bloodstream. You really have to, the blood sugar control, I think is a big, big part of this whole metabolic syndrome. And we focus on the fats. We pull the fats out of the diet and say, well, fat's bad for you. Fat's going to cause problems. And, it, and that's, not the key, that's not the thing that's causing the problems. It is the sugar and it's the carbohydrates. Um, so I think that is one of the big, big things. And then the way, the way that fatty liver then um, ends up is through that sorbitol process. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but when glucose goes into that, um, because the mitochondria is not functioning very well, so glucose goes into that glycolytic cycle. Now, 
it goes, some of that will go into sorbitol, and then from sorbitol, it will go into fructose. So your body can actually turn a lot of your glucose into fructose. And then you can also get fructose from the diet through things like high fructose corn syrup, you know, which is an additive in just so many, many fast foods. And there's only one organ in the body that can actually deal with fructose, and that is the liver, because it's the only organ that has a fructose transporter, which is, um, I think it's the GLUT5 transporter. But that means that if there's any fructose in the body, again, it just all gets shunted to the poor liver. And that's, you know, in the liver, it'll just be turned into fat. And that is what causes fatty liver. And fatty liver is sort of like the liver manifestation of metabolic syndrome. Uh, there is a question somebody just typed in. Uh, they ask, would you talk about the relationship between metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, and mitochondrial dysfunction? Okay. Um, I'm not going to put my thinking hat on. Um, so with, uh, <laughs> take a deep breath. <laughs> I'm going to take a deep breath. It's, you know, so it's, it's just so much information. You can get a little bit mumbled. So I'm going to try and put it in... Um, in a good perspective. So I don't really go too much into the whole, um, into the whole cortisol thing. Um, but pretty much when you, um, when there's inflammation and when there is stress, the body will pump out cortisol and cortisol will get your blood sugars to rise. And that rise in blood sugar will cause insulin resistance. But now let's just backtrack a little bit. Let's just go to the, to the uh, cortisol bit. Your mitochondria actually has to make cortisol. Um, you know, this is something that I don't think uh, many people know or many people understand. But it, within the mitochondria, your um, this protein called the star protein, and it stands for, um, oh, I can't remember what it stands for, but anyway, it's called star, and it actually grabs the um, free cholesterol that is in the cell. It takes it into the mitochondria, and then this cholesterol goes through a couple of processes in the mitochondria, and then it becomes cortisol. And then cortisol goes out of the mitochondria, it goes uh, through the cell membrane, and then it goes into the bloodstream. So if there's a massive demand for cortisol, which is what you get with inflammation and stress and all of those kinds of things, then the mitochondria will work really, really hard. It has to work really hard to make all of this, um, of, of this cortisol. And... Um, uh, by by working hard and by making all this cortisol, it'll use up a lot of uh, um, uh, nutrients as well, and so you can you can end up with nutritional uh, deficiencies because uh, the mitochondria is just using all of these resources to make cortisol. Um, what can then happen is um, you're 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 producing also then a lot of free radicals because the faster the mitochondria is working, the more free radicals you're producing. And then this will put stress on um, things like your um, glutathione um, and um, methylation and um, things like that. And all of those things are sort of needed to keep the uh, mitochondria healthy. And so eventually, if the um, mitochondria just cannot keep up anymore, um, then what will happen is the mitochondria will sort of slow down and um, glycolysis will tend to take over um, outside of the mitochondria. And then um, cholesterol, there won't be that cholesterol that's going into the mitochondria to produce cortisol anymore. So now what happens is you'll sort of like have cholesterol just sitting around. It cannot be turned into uh, cortisol. Um, and then what can then also happen is um, the... Um, um, 
oh, I think I've lost my train of thought there a little bit. Um, but yeah, then cholesterol will tend to sort of like keep up. Um, it can cause sort of like a marbling in the muscles. Um, and um, it can also then contribute to uh, fatty liver as well. But you know, the, the, I think another thing with the mitochondria is as well, um, there's, it's very, very sensitive to oxygen changes as well. So when you're, um, uh, I'm going to try not to be, again, too technical. So just pull me in, Dr. Arman, if I get too technical. But um, when you eat a lot of, when you consume a lot of fuel, when you eat a lot of uh, sugar and a lot of carbohydrates, or just eat too much in general, so your portions are too high, you get sort of like this um, overproduction of a substance called NADH. And now we're sort of like getting a little bit more technical into uh, redox reactions. But your your mitochondria is extremely sensitive to this ratio between NADH and NAD. And by excessive calorie consumption, excessive sugar consumption, and even excessive alcohol consumption, the, the shift will sort of be towards NADH because it's very, it's, uh, it's, it's, that's all your elect, uh, electrons that needs to be turned into energy. So as soon as it shifts away from NAD to NADH, so you have more NADH than NAD, the mitochondria will register that as, that you don't that uh, that you don't have enough oxygen, so it's sort of like a um, like a hypoxic state. It'll think that there is not enough oxygen, even if there is enough oxygen, and then automatically that will make the um, mitochondria slow down um, because that's the way the mitochondria works. If there isn't enough oxygen to take those electrons and do something with it, like turn it into energy, it'll just slow down, um, and then you'll just have all of this NADH or this fuel floating around in the body with, with um, nothing to do. And then that'll just go into, um, um, you know, producing fat, you know, putting on fat, putting on weight, um, and just causing a whole bunch of uh, hormonal and um, uh, neurochemical disruption in the body. So the, uh, I hope that sort of explains it a little bit. It does. The, um, essentially, the metabolic syndrome um, really interferes with proper mitochondrial dysfunction. But I think our listeners need to be reminded at times that mitochondrial, what's the purpose of the mitochondria is not just to create energy, which it produces ATP, of course, but the mitochondrial function is how we keep healthy. It is the basis of our life. And when you interfere with mitochondrial function, you are in fact killing yourself. So it's not just chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia. It's everything. So when we all talk about cellular function and reestablishing normal cellular function, we're really talking about getting the mitochondria working again because that's the usual reason uh, that um, our bodies will not heal. Uh, You spoke about the cell danger response before, which is a a recent study uh, that was done by Robert Navarro in uh, the Metabolic and uh, Mitochondrial Disease Center at the University of Southern California uh, School of Medicine. Uh, and uh, we did a, um, if anybody any, anybody's interested, we did a uh, podcast on it. Uh, just look for Stella Danger Response. And if you don't have the PDF, just ask me for it. I'll send it to you. Okay, that made this a, a bit simpler. Okay, but essentially, uh, all the damage that occurs to a cell, you know, certainly blocks up the detox pathways and messes with the methylation pathways, which are all a matter of traffic. But the real problem, the quintessential base root problem is in the mitochondria. And if you can get the mitochondria working again, 
that person will start healing rapidly. And that's not as easy as it sounds, but it's also not impossible. Yeah, it's, so, it's just so true, Dr. Arman, because, I mean, it, it has been shown that mitochondrial dysfunction precedes insulin resistance. So it is. It's one mm-hmm. of the first things to go wrong. Because the mitochondria, they like this little, these little sensors in the body. They, they whole roll. You know, you're right. We think of it as just energy production, and it's not. They're like little sensors, and they, they, they measure pH changes. They measure oxygen changes. Uh, they measure all these things to look for threats in the body or um, dysregulation in the body. And so we often think that, that uh, mitochondrial, you know, by the time you see mitochondrial markers on an organic acid test, um, we think, oh, okay, so this is now the end result and now the person has uh, chronic fatigue. And it's not. It's one of the first things that, that go wrong. We're just not measuring for it. We only measure for it when the person is already in a, uh, you know, in a disease state. Um, but it is. It's one of the first things to go wrong. And it's one of the things that we should, in fact, be primarily treating. Yeah. Okay, and primarily considering. Because if we do that, that's where you know, health comes from. Okay. It's not, it's unfortunately something because it's been not well understood and it is a little bit on the complex side. It's like, you know, it's like a magician performing magic. Once, you know, once you understand how a magic trick is performed, it's um, not magic anymore. You know, so once you understand mitochondrial function as difficult as it is to get a handle on it. Okay. You become a magician because, okay, this is the base reason for all, all uh, illness. And I, I think often, you know, I, I concentrate a lot on the cell walls. I try and make it as simple as I can. Um, but you're, you're, you're naming as you're going along all the parameters of the cell danger response and all the things that, in fact, um, are the reasons why we get sick. And more than that, why we re- – one more time, Jess. Okay. Why we remain ill even with seemingly proper care. Yeah. Yeah. It's another question. Um, at what point in a treatment program might you deal with mitochondrial function and what do you do about it? Well, I think we just answered the question that it was one of the things that you should be treating um, primarily. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what to do about mitochondrial dysfunction is, well, I'll let you answer that and then I'll, I'll chime in. <laughs> Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> well, that I'll, put is you a, in high seat. I'll put you in the high seat. Thank you. Um, that is a, you know, that's the million, well, I wouldn't say it's a million dollar question, but um, um, I think one of the big, the main important things with mitochondrial dysfunction is, um, you know, it's going back again to cell membranes. You need to fix the cell membrane of the mitochondria, you know, it's just as important as the cell membrane of all the other cells. So I think that is really, really important because on that cell membrane in the mitochondria is where you have your, um, your glutathione, your superoxide dismutase, and all of those antioxidants. Um, uh, you know, a lot of them sit on that cell membrane and your, your electron transport chain sits in that cell membrane. If that cell membrane is damaged, none of that stuff is going to work. and Absolutely nothing is going to work. So I think that's one of the big things. You have to remove the um, obstruct, obstructions to the mitochondria. So if there is um, ammonia or if there's lactic acid buildup or anything that's, that's interfering with any of the, um, the mitochondrial enzymes, you need to remove that. You're not going to get anywhere if you don't remove obstacles. That's probably two of the big things. Um, 
I think um, maybe making sure that um, you've got to make sure that glutathione is is on board. You know, glutathione is very, very important for keeping the mitochondria um, healthy and for keeping the cycle going forwards instead of backwards. I think, um, and that will come back down to methylation. You know, how do you get your glutathione levels up? You've got to make sure your methylation is working properly. Um, so there's also, you know, if we, if we go a little bit back to the gut, there's a lot of um, research that shows um, certain um, uh, things like Clostridia and yeast. They, there's a lot of things where they can block um, certain pathways within the mitochondria as well. So, again, you've got to clean up the gut. You've got to clean up the diet. You've got to get the microbiome functioning properly. Um, th- those are all kinds of things that you can do to get the mitochondria healthy. So, a lot of the basic stuff will already work towards helping the mitochondria without necessarily having to do anything specifically just for the mitochondria. So um, those are probably the things I would start with. Your point is incredibly well taken. A lot of people treat the mitochondria as if it can be treated separately. And what we've been been espousing is something called foundational work or something called bioterrain work has been uh, done by uh, various people. And um, it is treating the body from its very foundation. See, we're in a society now of specialists where we go and treat, you know, the various and sundry symptoms that are out there, which are the end result of things, okay? And we try to work our way in. So if you have POTS or you have um, RA, if you have whatever, you're trying to treat this syndrome as if it's an entity, which it is not. Um, you may treat like Lyme disease and you may be, you know, killing whatever bugs are out there and repopulating uh, the gut as best you can, you know, but if the cell itself is not working, which is really talking about the mitochondria not working, okay, then guess what? Okay, the person will not heal. And so when we engage in things like foundational work, where we're trying to get, you know, your cell walls fixed because it's not just the cell wall of the cells, the cell wall of the mitochondria, okay, which has a double wall. Has, has two cell membranes. Um, and, you know, we're talking about getting cofactors and coenzymes, vitamins and minerals into the cells so that they cells can function, so they can create energy, manage energy, and manage their waste. Okay, when you do all these things, okay, um, if you do all these things, uh, this is what gets the mitochondria working. Now, you know, there's certain specialized knowledge that you that you and I have where it concerns glutathione and how glutathione can get oxidized and get stuck in the mitochondria. And then you have the glutathione conjugation pathway. If that's not working and that's NAD yeah. dependent and that's what pulls the oxidized glutathione out to become reduced glutathione, opening up the pathway, yada, 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 yada. Yeah. But believe it or not, if you take care of all the things you spoke about, and so forth. That's what takes the inflammation down. That's what takes all the receptor resistance or receptor dysfunction away and on and on and on and on and on. Those are the things that make people well. Okay. And it comes down to the cell, which is the gut and everything else, and especially the mitochondria. Okay. It's not, it's hard to understand, but comparatively simple to treat except in certain, you know, small cases, but comparatively simple to treat if we try not to get overly technical and micromanaging and treat it more globally and looking at the big picture, which is what I'm hearing, hearing you say. 
You know, that's that's right, Dr. Armine. It's always back to the basics. You cannot go wrong with the basics. You know, um, I've I've got sort of like a saying: if you don't know what to do, start with the gut. Start with the diet. Start with the gut. You can't yeah. go wrong. If you get yeah. all of that you right, can't go wrong. Exactly. Then, um, yeah, most of the time you you get the results that you want without necessarily having to do much else. Um, you know, and like you said, it's just it's those isolated cases where you may have to do things a little bit more left field or have a more of an open mind. But for the majority of people um, who are listening or um, who have a metabolic syndrome, it is back to the basics. That's really what it is. Well, you know, in that is the per- the pearl, the actual diamond, a very large diamond that people can take with them. They they go to different specialists. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of people. I've been to a fibromyalgia specialist. I said, you went to a specialist for something that doesn't exist? Wow, amazing. <laughs> you know, I'm serious because fibromyalgia doesn't exist because it's not a diagnosis. It's a syndrome. Okay, yeah, diagnosis exactly. is the cause of something. So if you have a sore throat, that's a symptom. If you have a strep throat, now I know why you get the sore throat. If you have fibromyalgia, well, thank you very much, you know, Captain Obvious. You know, I've got fibro and muscle pain, you know. Now tell me why. But you have fibromyalgia. No, no, no. Tell me why. I have fibromyalgia. No, no, no. Tell me why. And they use the American, you know, the American College of Rheumatology criteria. Well, the doctor put his fingers here and he put his fingers there. He put his fingers there. I said, where have those fingers been? You know? Okay. And he's like, well, you, you fulfill the criteria. I know you fulfill the criteria for what? for a non-entity and the same thing goes with chronic fatigue and the same thing goes with any other syndrome that's out there you know we have specialists that treat these syndromes and they're not treating anything because they're treating you know something in the air they're not treating a root cause they're not even attempting to treat a root cause what they're telling you is that you have something for the rest of your life and it stinks to be you Okay. Yeah, exactly we, live a, we, we live in a chronic illness society. You know, if you look at TV and, you know, everything's geared towards chronic illnesses, which kind of really, if you think about it, you know, maybe the reason why nobody wants to cure anything because there's not a lot of money to be made in curing Lyme disease. It's a whole lot more money uh, to be made in treating all the downstream effects like fibromyalgia and, and chronic fatigue and, you know, dysautonomias like, you know, postural epistatic tachycardia syndrome and yada, 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 yada. It's a whole lot more money in that. Okay. Not to mention the psychiatric manifestations. Okay. We certainly going to make a whole lot more money by giving people atypical antipsychotics. And especially if your depression is not helping, let's give you a bilify. So let's go from a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor to an atypical antipsychotic. That makes loads of sense to me. Okay. Makes tons of sense to me. Really, I mean, I'm being sarcastic. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so if we, you know, if we start looking at things and stop accepting that chronic illnesses are permanent, which is the whole reason I started this podcast a couple of years ago, chronic illnesses are not permanent. Okay. They can be. They can be treated. Okay. Autoimmune diseases. I know I'm going to get shot when I when I leave here. I have to go out the back door again. Okay. <laughs> arm myself, put my bulletproof gun here, turn the lights off, you know, go on my belly and you know, get to my car, try and get there. Okay, but autoimmune diseases don't make any sense. Okay? It just doesn't make any sense why the body should attack itself. And if it were true, yeah. if it were genetic, it would have happened since birth. Okay? So something caused a genetic expression. So why don't we start getting at the cause of that? And most of that is foundational mitochondrial cell function cell wall function and it is right there you know and so so you know this is yeah this is a a fascinating subject and 
and, and frankly, frankly, Lesna, you know, um, I can see where we can chop this into a couple of different um, pieces of the pie and then take each one of them, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. specifically. Uh, we, we didn't even talk about the relationship between cholesterol and hormones. You know, no, people are always no. looking to lower cholesterol, lower it, lower it, lower it, lower it. Creates pregnenolone. Pregnenolone creates progesterone, yep. DHEA, androstenedione, which I'm probably mispronouncing, which pr- produces all your testosterone and your uh, estrogens. You know, so That's really, right. really, really super low cholesterol is going to give you hormonal stuff, and you know, you're going to be sitting there saying, "Hey, you know, I don't have heart disease." Well, you know, cholesterol has never been proven to be related to heart disease. And then they look at the yeah. LDL, VLDL, HDL, which are lipoproteins, high density lipoproteins. And they put dash cholesterol. That's not a cholesterol. Okay. But we want to give you statins. Okay. So we're yeah. going to make that a cholesterol. We're going to pick a number that's high and then shove statins at you, which have been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt to be injurious to the human body. And it happens right at the mitochondrial level, you know? So I, I think what we need to do here. Okay, uh, because we're getting pe- see. I told you the hour would go really fast. <laughs> yeah, it did. Oh my god, it was an hour already. Okay, and I'm still sweating. It's okay. I mean, I haven't even caught my breath yet. It's all right. <laughs> I think we should talk. I think we should talk privately and kind of chop this up into. Um, oh yes, I would bite, love bite that. Pieces, yeah. and then do hormones at one time. Do fatty liver methylation, uh, uh, glycosylation, or like. Glyco- mm. I call it glycosylation, uh, glycation, same thing. Um, the whole thing about mitochondria and pseudohypoxia and redox reactions, I think we can get that down to, um, you know, an understandable level because I think what people want to know is, is, you know, yeah, okay, this is great. You know, this really big words. It sounds great. You know, it sounds like you know what you're talking about. What do I do about it? <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. And, and really, we've got like, to hold it down. Yeah, because huh? I'm prepared for this. I, I just... I felt a little bit like there's no way I can cover, you know, if when you look at something yeah. in a, from a global perspective, you just cannot cover it all. But I thought it was so important for people to get the big picture and to understand how everything fits in. Right. And so um, um, I, I would, I think it's a, it would be an amazing idea to actually focus on them in sections. And then eventually people can sort of like get the real, real big picture. But it, I think there are probably a lot of sections that we've left out that a lot of people may be a bit disappointed in. Here's what I suggest we do. Here's what do. Okay. I think that um, people got the idea of what metabolic syndrome you know, can be, and it's, and yeah, it's a vast yeah. subject. I mean, agreeably, you know, it's not something you can do in, in a single podcast, but I think what we'll do together, uh, you and I, you know, is uh, kind of come up with a um, schedule of things or subjects like over maybe three or four podcasts that kind of builds the knowledge up. Okay. So that, you know, cause you, you, you realize, and I realize that this can be taught to anyone. And then once they have it, boy, they have it, you know, exactly. And it, and it's not something that is reserved for people with PhDs or, or lots of letters and numbers next to their name because, you know, something, it doesn't, you know, it's not important that you understand, you know, the molecular shift and the electronegativity of the ions and so forth. You know, what's understood, what it needs to be understood is that things start at the mitochondria and not at the other end. And what do we do to fix it? What can, what can I do in my in my own life to make every, you know, 
you know as well as yeah. I do, you make 10, 10% change, you can make 100% difference. You know? yep. So I think maybe we chop it up and, and start bringing that, because this is really good. And, and let's face it, everybody, do you think she knows what she's talking about? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> this is one intelligent woman. You know, she knows her stuff. You know, so why don't we take why don't we take advantage of that? No, no offense, Eliza. Why don't we take advantage of that and, and let her teach, let us, let her work with us on understanding this whole area because it is global in illness and work our way forward. Uh, by the well, way, Eliza, how do people get in touch with you? How can they get in touch with you should they want to consult with you? Yeah, so people can get me on uh, my website, which is um, www clinic.realizehealthwithaz.com.au and there is a link to my webpage as well at the bottom of the podcast Um, uh, my details are on there people can email me Um, I look at all my own emails um, and I'll try and get in touch with you as uh, soon as I can there is a phone number there as well they can phone the clinic but probably the best way to get hold of me is is, is email Um, so yeah, you can just go to the website and um, email me. We can set something up. And, and you answer your own emails like I do. Isn't it crazy? I do, yeah. <laughs> not, not rich enough yet to have a personal assistant. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I had one, but then it didn't work out. What can you say? Yeah, that- <laughs> They're asking the same question all the time. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's oh, better me. to do it yourself. Yeah. You know, it's good because it's that personal contact that's the most important. And you are exactly. where in Australia, please? Um, I'm in Queensland, um, specifically Logan Home, um, which is right smack bang between the Gold Coast and Brisbane. But, um, you know, I do a lot of Skype consultations as well. So um, there's okay. no boundaries. Okay. I do, you know, as you, as you know, that's the majority of my business is, um, is Skype consultations. And everybody, I couldn't recommend Eliza more. Okay, if you want somebody who understands uh, your problems at the molecular level and has the capability of fixing you, okay, and if you're local to Australia, which makes it a whole lot easier, because when I talk to my Australian patients, I have to stay here till 7, 8 o'clock at night, and I'm getting pretty tired. <laughs> okay, <laughs> when it's the next day there. Okay, so I think Eliza might be the better person to call and, and uh, consult with, and much of this can be done, if not all of it, uh, in um, you know by telemedicine or by Skype consultations, and uh, what it takes is someone who has a true, deep understanding, who has a lot of tools in their toolbox, and more than that, has the willingness to get to the root, to the bottom of something, and then knows what to do about it. Okay, and that's the bottom line. And Eliza is one of those people. Okay, and I've never steered you wrong, people, not once. Okay, everybody I've had on here have been the absolute best, okay, at what they do. And remember, the world does not need specialists. We need generalists. We need people who understand the big picture and can delve real deep everywhere and know what to do about everything. And if they don't, they know where to refer you. Okay, we got enough specialists. We got, you know, you can't swing a dead cat in uh, either the United States or Australia and not hit a specialist. Maybe out in the outback, I don't know. But anyway, over here at least, you know, I, I can't swing a dead cat without hitting a doctor, you know. And uh, honestly, there's no, there's no generalists out there. There's not the old GP who knew everything and who knew it doesn't exist anymore. And that's the kind of doctor, that's the kind of practitioner that Eliza is. Okay, she's got the training. She's got the real deep understanding. 
and can tease it out and figure out what's wrong when nobody else has been able to. Trust me. If you want to know who the magician is, I got her on the phone right now. Take a grip on her. Don't let go. Okay? Oh, thank you so much for that. <laughs> right, it's been a pleasure. Ha- it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, let us um, let us uh, you know email back and forth. Uh, yep, maybe yep. give me your maybe give me your actual number, you know, and I'll uh, and uh, you know let's let's plan this out, okay? Let's plan this out so like over the summer and you know we can um, you know this is good, this is good because uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm excited about this that. Be I think good. that'll be fantastic. This is good. Mm. I can tell by you know I, I I know you very well, but I you know obviously uh, we've had lots of conversations, but I can tell from the way you explain things things tonight the very deep level of understanding you have. Okay. And that impressed me greatly. Okay. That was really, really, really impressive. You know, that takes a lot of study that takes a lot of consideration and that takes caring. It's real easy to practice a protocol people. It's real easy to say, Oh, I do this. I do that because then everybody's got to fit into your protocol. You know, Sherlock Holmes always said it's a capital mistake to theorize without data. But guess what? Everybody forgets the second part of that statement. It's a capital mistake to theorize without data because insensibly you will twist facts to suit theories instead of theories to suit facts. And what we have today is a bunch of theories that we call diagnoses or protocols. And I'm going to shove you into one of them because if I don't, I don't know what to do. Okay, and I have no intention of taking the time or effort to twist my knowledge to your physiology, which is how you should be healed. Eliza is one of those people who would do that and understands it and has a capability and the desire to do so. So give her her a call, email her, and um, like I said, it's the next day there, so I feel like I'm like going faster than the speed of light and stuff, so it's cool. (laughs) You know, anyway, Eliza, it was a real pleasure speaking with you. We are going to talk again and we're going to set up a a series of podcasts if that's okay. Oh, definitely. Very excited. Thanks so much, Dr. Jess. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time, appreciate your effort, appreciate your presence. I'm so very grateful that you're on the planet because uh, there's so many sick people out there and they need somebody like you. They really do. Oh, thanks very much. Okay, take care now. Bye bye. All right. Good night. Okay, everybody, that was Eliza Lambert in uh, Australia, uh, a wonderful practitioner, uh, pretty amazing. I was um, pretty blown away by a lot of the stuff she said tonight because, uh, you know, it was a little bit on the on the deep side, but I can tell the, you know, extreme level of understanding that she has, which is the most important thing. Um, so anyway, like I said, um, I will be in England uh, for the next um, two and a half weeks. I'll be seeing people and uh, teaching healthcare practitioners, you know, which I'm really uh, excited about. Anybody who uh, needs to speak with me uh, or um, who needs to consult with me uh, while I'm there, um, just email me because my scheduling system will not accept um, uh, consultations. uh, So you have to just email me and I'll I'll set it up for you. Okay. If you um, have questions for Elizma and, um, you just didn't catch her um, her address, go ahead and email me and I'll send it over to her. And we will um, continue this. This is going to be this is going to be real good. I didn't think that it was going to be this well. I mean, I didn't knew it was going to be good, but don't mind me. I'm getting tired. Okay, so anyway, uh, I will see you guys in a couple of weeks. Uh, wish me luck. And uh, don't forget, if nobody tells you they love you today, Dr. Jess does. Take care, people. It's been a long, long 
Like I said, people, don't accept it. Don't, don't accept the fact that chronic illnesses are coming. They're not. Okay, as long as you're sitting up staring at another person, your body's working. So let us help you. Okay, have good information on this podcast. Let everybody else know we only have the best. We want you to get better. This is the truth. Okay? Remember, you guys who've got chronic illnesses, I think you're the strongest people in the world. So let's get to the root of it and let's fix it. You guys have a good couple of weeks. Take care, okay? Take care. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.